But hey, uh, if you want to, go ahead and, and turn uh, in your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, later on. Um, so we're going to be like reading 38 verses from there, I believe. Um, not all at the same time. So, uh, so take a breath. Um, <laughs> but uh, John chapter 9. So... Also, I see Mackenzie is here with us this morning, so, and, and I'm blanking on a name, I'm sorry. So what? Rudy? Ricky, man, my hearing is not good today. <laughs> so anyway, good to have you guys with us today as well. Um, but, uh, but anyway, John chapter 9, uh, that's where we're going to be a little later. Um, but let me say this, um, publicly telling one story or a personal testimony has always been pervasive amongst people who claim to be Christians, okay? Um, in recent years, some of the secular world has woken up to the power of testimony, to sharing your story. Groups and assemblies of storytellers uh, sharing wisdom gleaned from personal experiences have been cropping up in our country and actually north of our border up in Canada as well. You know, listeners are motivated, they are inspired, and they are guided uh, in this life when they hear stories. Uh, Confessional-style storytelling of your average folk, average people, has been made popular by a nonprofit called The Moth. Uh, They stage over 500 shows per year across the United States. Uh, The Moth Radio Hour was launched back in 2009 and is now on 500 public radio stations and has 1 million weekly listeners. The Moth's weekly podcast is downloaded over, get this, 73 million times, 73 million times per year. Uh, Their executive director, Sarah Haberman, she once told Forbes magazine that no matter where you're from or whatever your background is, your story has the power to unite people, to break down walls, even when you can't be in the same room. That That pursuit feels urgent right now, is what she said. Also, another quote from author Richard Wagamese, Uh, This is what he said, Uh, all that we are is story. It is what we arrive with. It is all that we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. He says we are story. So why bring this up this morning? Uh, I'll tell you why the secular world is catching up with what the Bible has revealed to us a long time ago. Telling our story can be a powerful influence on those that we share it with, uh, with others. In fact, you can say that sharing your story uh, blesses others. It blesses people. Part of the problem is that we, we might not even know where to begin. Where are we going to begin? We might think that no one is interested in hearing our story or we might just be so shy that we don't even take a risk of sharing our story. But if we are going to bless people as Jesus wants us to bless people, we have to learn to share our story. Your personal story is what I'm talking about. You know, in this sermon series called Bless, we have talked about five everyday ways to love your neighbor and to change the world. In their book, Also with the same name, Bless, brothers John and Dave Ferguson share some simple things that we can incorporate, that we can mix into our everyday life to help our neighbors see Jesus. And as I've told you, every letter of this word, bless, can remind you, can remind us of one of these things. So here we are. We are in the final week. Man, this has been a sermon series six weeks strong. An intro, a B-L-E-S, and we are on that last S today. So uh, just a review time, what did the B stand for in bless? Begin with prayer, that's right. What did the L stand for? Listen. How about the E? That's something I love to do. Um, How about the first S? 
serve. We talked about that last week. And, um, and, and today we are on, on, on the last S, like I said, and that is for story. The last S in BLESS, and this acronym is for story. And by story, uh, we are talking about your, where your story and where Jesus' story meet, okay? Uh, if you want to bless people and open the, open the door for their story and Jesus' story to meet, you simply need to share your story. So the big idea this week is in order to bless your neighbor, uh, Jesus invites you to share your story. Um, in Scripture, we, we find many people who are struggling, but uh, particular today, this, this person was blind. This person was struggling uh, with blindness. And I know back in the Listen sermon from this same series, we also looked at Jesus' encounter with another blind person. Okay? But, um, but you know, that, that was a struggle, right? To be blind. I mean, even in today's world, it's a struggle uh, for a person to be blind. But for this particular uh, blind person story uh, and Jesus' encounter with them, I, I think, you know, it, it really helps get the point across about sharing your story. You know, I, I don't know what would be worse, you know, to be born blind or to be born with sight and eventually lose it. I don't know which way would be worse. Um, but everyone in this, com in this community, there in Jesus' day, in the neighborhood there, they knew this man. They knew his situation. In fact, many of them thought that this man, this blind man, was cursed. You know, to be born blind in the minds uh, of many, uh, it meant that either the person's parents had sinned or they had sinned. Uh, to be born blind. In fact, even Jesus' disciples, the 12, had this misconception. And uh, let's read John chapter 9 and verses 1 through 3. It says, As he went along, he saw, talking about Jesus, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus set the record straight here where this man was concerned, okay? Um, he, he wasn't blind because of sin. His parents didn't do anything to cause his blindness. And it seems weird that people would think that a fetus inside a mother's womb would sin to cause blindness. That's, that's weird to think about, right? That a fetus inside a mother's womb would sin to cause the blindness. Um, but superstitions often take people down the wrong path. You know, we, we have to be careful about making such, uh, you know, judgments. I, I wonder how many people looked at this innocent man, this blind man, and made such wrong assumptions about him. Jesus spoke truth. He didn't, this man, he didn't do anything wrong, but God allowed this to happen so that Jesus himself could do something that would be simply amazing and simply stunning to the people who were around. You know, what Jesus did next is also different. You know, if Jesus wanted to, he could have like just spoken the words to the man, like, hey, your sight is going, your sight is going to be restored. But Jesus didn't do that. Because we all know if Jesus would have said that directly to him, it would have happened. But Jesus did not go down that route. Uh, but Jesus did something out of the ordinary, okay? So uh, let's look at uh, verses 6 and 7 from our text today. Um, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And that means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seen. 
So why didn't Jesus just immediately heal and speak the words to heal this guy? Why did he go through this ceremony of healing? You know, in ancient days, back in biblical times, the Jews believed that something saliva, like all of us have in our mouths right now, um, you know, that it had some kind of value like medicine. And the idea of mixing saliva with mud and putting it as some kind of solution on the man's eyes would have been a clear indication to him that something was happening, that he was being healed. It's like, you know, just the midst of after you find out what's going on with you when you're sick and you go to a pharmacy because the doctor or PA or somebody that you've seen has written you a prescription. That was kind of the same idea, that this blind man was going to the pharmacy because Jesus had put the, the mixture, the saliva and the mud and everything on his eyes. And we'll find out what happened next. Um, but, you know, but Jesus is like, I want you to go to this pool, okay? I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. I want you to go wash it off. So, but it was there also a little while back that Jesus himself was teaching and preaching there at this particular pool. And in John seven thirty seven, he said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Was this just Jesus, you know, doing this as a symbol of the fact that he is the light of the world and that he is the one who can quench our thirst? Or did Jesus do this because he knew what was going to happen when he healed, when he ultimately had this encounter with the blind man. Let's read more of the man's story. Um, let's look at verse 8 uh, through 12. It says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man, the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it doesn't look like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And this is the big part. And then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. And the man said, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, the fact that he had been bo born blind from birth and now was able to see, it became a fascination with his neighbors, with the people there in his community. Um, some questioned whether he was really the same man who used to sit there day after day and beg and beg and beg. But he was very certain when this man, the blind man, the former blind man said, I am that guy. I am that person. You know, it, and it is funny in a way that this man was having to defend his own story. It's crazy, you know, when we think about it, that this man had to defend himself, and he was the man that not too long ago was that man that was sitting down and just begging and begging and begging because he couldn't see, okay? But he had experienced something dramatic, and he had experienced something life-changing. And now people were doubting him, even asking, is that the same guy? But it would get even worse. It's like the story keeps going and going. When the religious leaders got wind of this story, they had a vested interest in casting doubt on it. Um, they hated Jesus. Their religious leaders, they hated, they couldn't stand the man. And they didn't want people hearing this story and putting their trust and their belief in Jesus Christ. So let's read what happened next in verses uh, 13 through 17. Uh, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked him, now he had received his sight, he, or how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man said, and, and I washed, and now I see. 
some of the Pharisees said, the man is not from God for, for he, talking about Jesus, does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So the group there was divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, they said. The man replied, he is a prophet. In their effort to discredit Jesus, they claimed since he healed the man on the Sabbath day that Jesus himself was a sinner. But when they asked the blind man what he thought about Jesus, the blind man, or the former blind man, was simple and to the he he responded in a simple way and to the point he said he is jesus is a prophet no doubt jesus was doing the work of his father he was doing the work of god and beyond that this man you know he really didn't say all that much they asked what he thought and the man simply told them what he thought but that wasn't good enough they continued to try to discredit this miracle and cast doubt upon the man himself for what had happened. So, going back to the text, uh, verses 18 through 23. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Like I said, man, this story keeps continuing. Um, Is this your son, they asked them. Is this the one you say was born blind, and how is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but now he can see. Or or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of uh, of Jewish leaders who already had decided that if anyone acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, that they would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said that he, talking about the former blind man, he is of age, ask him. It sounds like the parents knew what was happening, but you know they were just afraid to say. They really didn't want to loudly and boldly speak the truth. Uh, everyone knew uh, the religious leaders, they had it out for Jesus. They did not like this man. They didn't want to defend Jesus, uh, talking about the parents, but they did simply tell the truth. It was their son, and he was born blind, and now he could see. They could not testify to anything else. All they could say was basically, hey, let him speak for himself. He's grown. He's been out here begging. I mean, you've heard him time after time after time, but let him speak for himself. So once again, he was brought before the leaders. So let's look at verses 24 through 34 and see what that says. Uh, A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling The truth, they said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you didn't listen. I love that part. Um... Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Man, I wish I was there to to be a part of that interaction. Uh, I think I would have lost it and ran out of the room. Um, Anyway, Um, but uh, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. Don't try to sugarcoat it is what they were saying. You are one of his disciples. We, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this guy, this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, no, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who will do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, 
he could do nothing. To this, the religious leaders replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You know, I love this part of the man's story. He had a clear vision as to what these false religious leaders, what they were trying to do. All he could do was testify to, to, you know, what Jesus had done for him. He was blind, but now he could see. They began to attack, attack the man personally and throw out accusations that he was one of Jesus' disciples, that he was one of the twelve, that he was lying for his master, for his leader, for his teacher, his rabbi, whatever you want to say there. You know, I love his courage to speak truth in front of Jesus' enemies. He did not back down, but he spoke logically to them. If Jesus wasn't from God, how could he have done what he had done? And not that they insulted him and they threw him out of the synagogue. Later, Jesus would meet up with the man again, and he would speak with him. So let's read what verses 35 through 38 say here in our text. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked Jesus. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one that is speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believed. Uh, I believe. And he worshiped him. Remember, the blind man had not seen Jesus. He had just heard his voice, but he went to the pool, as Jesus instructed, to wash his eyes from that saliva and mud uh, solution. So Jesus sought him. He sought him out and asked him if he believed in the Son of Man, and he did believe, and he worshiped Jesus right then and there. That was his story. This was a story of a, blind, uh, of a man born blind who had to beg every single day to have enough to eat and to survive this life with. It is the story of, of a man who encountered Jesus by just hearing him as he was coming through. And it's a story about how Jesus Christ saved his life or changed his life forever. The blind man told anyone who would listen to him what Jesus had done for him. I can't imagine that that would be the last time either that that would have occurred. You guys ever like hear something awesome and exciting or something happens to you exciting? Do you go out? Do you just tell one person? You tell a lot of people, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was the same with, with the former blind guy. So when you and I become Christians, our story and Jesus' story, they become intertwined. Jesus changes our lives forever, for eternity. And just like that blind man who was healed, we just need to simply tell the truth about what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. What is your story? It's not rocket science. You know, I've said that throughout this whole series with all these different things. It's not rocket science. It's just something that we do. It's part of our everyday life. Um, we don't need to go to Bible college or have some kind of theological degree. We don't have to have the Bible uh, fully memorized or just a portion of it memorized. We don't have to do any of that. We just need to tell or share our story. Now, when we tell our story... Uh, there are things that we need to mention. There are things that we need to share. So this morning, I'm going to share three things that we need to do when the time comes to share our story. And the first is, 
my life before Jesus. There's a tagline to these three, too. Uh, I was blind. My life before Jesus, tagline, I was blind. What was my life like before I met Jesus? The blind man, of course, he was blind. He had to sit and beg. But that is only part of his story. You know, there was darkness for him spiritually, and I'm sure emotionally as well. The first century, I'm sure all of us can imagine how hard, it's hard nowadays, but if you were blind in the first century, back in biblical times, how hard that must have been to just sit there in dirty roads, dirty streets, and just, you know, I can't just imagine like a metal can. And as people, as, as a blind person would hear people pass, they would shake it and try to get money, denarii, to eat with. But it must have been hard. I'm sure all of us can imagine that. Now, talking about us, you and I, you know, maybe we can say, yes, I was blind. I was a sinner. You know, this is the case for every single one of us because we are all sinners. Remember what Romans 3.23 said, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe this is you too. Maybe your focus before Jesus was on sports and just having fun. Maybe that was you. Maybe you think, I, I don't think I was that bad growing up. I wasn't perfect, but hey, nobody is, right? Were you this person saying that my goals had nothing to do with God? They had everything to do with me and what I wanted to do. Were you a person before Jesus who was selfish? Were you self-centered? Did you watch sports all the time before accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Maybe that's still you, okay? Let me just throw that out there. But were there times that maybe you're here, especially during football season and uh, at church, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get home and watch my team play? Oh, I got to eat first. I wish this preacher would hush. Man. Um, I will say maybe not during football season, not during NFL season especially, um, but I, I can remember times where I've been guilty of this. Maybe on like a Wednesday night, or maybe I had to go to a meeting of some sort uh, at the church, and my Duke Blue Devils were playing basketball. And I just wanted to like get my phone out, which I've been guilty of this, to check the score. And, uh, but man, um, but you know, thinking about times like that, I'm like, has sports become my God? Has sports become my God. You know, it was like that was all I cared about was finding out a score of a game or thinking about watching a game later on in the day. But I don't, I don't know. But I think sports became a God to me. So when I talk about, you know, my personal life before I met Jesus, I can honestly say that I was blind, not in just that situation, but I was blind in many ways. I can talk about how I was so focused on myself and how that would, because of that self-centeredness, how it would cause problems for me in the future. You know, those problems, you know, they, uh, I'm sure, affected some relationships I had in the past. Um... Maybe there were some disappointments that came as a result of that. And I'm sure there was also failures. And maybe that's the same for some of you. Because your focus, your attention was on the wrong thing. Because whatever that wrong thing is, maybe that was a God in your life. And you really weren't focusing on Jesus, on God's word, like you should have been. So, when you talk about your life before Jesus, what can you say? What can you say? We can talk about, you know, where that sin 
before Jesus, where that sin led you to. Uh, there was probably darkness, and there was discouragement. There was, excuse me, despair, and there might have even been depression. You know, we can talk about our mistakes. We can talk about our failures. We can talk about the way that you and I first viewed this world before Jesus. We can share about how meaningless life is without the hope of eternity. Think about it, friends. You know, without the hope that we have in Jesus, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? We are here for a moment, and then boom, we're gone. You know, it could be, too, that our story before Christ, and it involved some kind of uh, addiction to, like, drugs or alcohol or sex or some kind of self-satisfaction. Whatever that addiction is or was, you know, it led us down a road of desperation or destruction. Uh, maybe our life before Jesus didn't involve any horrible sins, and if you're listening to the podcast later, I just did the quotation marks around horrible. Um, maybe uh, we just didn't have the light of Jesus in us. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe we just lived like a joyless life with no thoughts of the future, of what's going to happen. You know, whatever it is, when we share our story, we start with life before Jesus and whatever blindness that we were dealing with. But then, the second thing that we need to mention in sharing our story is how I met Jesus. How I met Jesus. And the tagline there is, he came to me where I was. How I met Jesus, he came to me where I was. Uh, the blind man was, was just going about his normal routine. We talked about so, that so much this morning. He was out begging at the same spot that he was always at. In fact, the text, it doesn't even record a dialogue in that initial encounter before, between Jesus and this blind man. You may remember another instance where Jesus asked a blind man what he wanted Jesus to do. And this is what I was talking about back in the Listen sermon of the same series. In that particular story, the blind man himself told Jesus that he wanted to see. In this story today, and in this case, the conversation is with the 12, it's with the disciples about who was at fault for the blindness, for this man's condition. And Jesus walked over, he spit in some dirt, he, spit in some dirt, he made some kind of solution, he put it on the man's eyes, and he told the man to go over to a pool and to wash his eyes out. The man obeyed, and he was healed. That was his story. Jesus changed his life. So let me ask you, how did you meet Jesus? Was it through some dramatic encounter? Was it through a conversation that you had with someone? Was it a longer pro uh, process of learning and also growing? Was it some kind of aha moment where you came to find Jesus? Or was it maybe a slower progression of faith? Maybe that was your story. I think for me it was a slower, maybe a, a less dramatic route. You know, I grew up in a Christian home where faith and, and, and Christianity were, were taught regularly. Uh, they were talked about regularly. Uh, we went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, you know, first few years of my life, going to Tarboro Church of Christ. And uh, when my family moved to Wilson, right before I started first grade, we were here at Stony Brook Christian Church, Church of Christ at the time. Um, but, but we were here. Mom and Dad took me and my brother here every time the doors were open. And... Um, but, you know, I, I met some other kids, uh, especially here at Stony Brook, uh, with similar stories. You know, I can think about Chris and, and Jason Woolard. I can think about Justin Reynolds, uh, Amy and Kevin Caputo, uh, Vicki and Heather Carter. Um, and, and there were a few others that were, you know, older than me. 
other kids that were a few years older than me, like Miss Marie's sons, uh, Myron and Sean. Um, I remember the Fry kids, Greg and Suzanne. Um, and also John and, and uh, Diane's girls, Jan and Chrissy, you know, they were a few years older than me. Um, also growing up, and, and if you're a student uh, here today, um, listen to this part carefully. I heard sermons. Um, and, and, you know, back in my day when I was growing up, we didn't have like children's church or junior church. We had Sunday school. But if you're a little one that was growing up, you had to stay with your parents through the duration of the entire service. So I heard a lot of sermons, okay? I heard a lot of sermons. Um, but throughout um, my time here at Stony Brook, especially in the youth ministry, I, I did go to a few years of camp uh, down in Washington, down at Roanoke Christian Camp. And I went and I participated in other youth activities and, uh, and events that were happening as well here at the church. Then, well, uh, let me say this before I say that. Um, but I don't remember, let me tell y'all, I don't really remember where faith began in my life, where it began for me. But for as long as I can remember, I've heard about Jesus and I believed in Jesus. But here's the then. There was one summer at a week of church camp down in Washington. I remember guys like Mr. Homer Steins, Steve Hill, Mark Lilly, and Mr. Ray West. Those four guys. Some of you may be familiar with some of those names. But they were there that particular week of camp, and they led me and they challenged me through various talks and messages to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, after that week of camp, I decided to give my life to Jesus right here in this very room, in this baptistry behind me. It was July 3rd, 1994. Okay? You know, it really wasn't earth-shadowing. I can't say a lot changed for me personally, except for my heart. But Jesus, he came in the form of those four guys that I just mentioned. Homer, Mark Lilly, Steve Hill, and Ray West. Jesus used those men to challenge me and to make me think. They came to where I was. Not attacking or accusing me, but challenging me and teaching me and asking me questions like, do you believe? Of course I believe. So their response was, well, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you make Jesus your Lord and Savior? So that's what I did. You know, whatever your story is, there's a moment where you come face to face with a decision. You will either choose Jesus or you're going to push him aside. Jesus will come to where you are. It may be in the darkest place that you have ever found yourself in. Maybe it's through, you know, like you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you have suffered something or maybe you've lost something or maybe you struggled with something. You know, in the middle of whatever may be going on in your life, a light will be shown. Maybe that light will be in the form of a person who loves you and has reached out to you. Maybe that's how Jesus shows up to you. Or maybe it'll, it'll be a while. Your life may be good and, and you don't seem to have any kind of problems, but in the middle of all that, he, talking about Jesus, may have sent someone to cause you to while life is great. But can you go back and can you see a time or even several times where Jesus' story and your story have crossed? Think about that. I hope you have made that choice. You know your story 
So my challenge to you is just share it with somebody. But the last part of the thing to share and sharing your story is the best part. It's one of those times where you want to save the best part for last. Anyway, this is the last part, my life after Jesus. And the tagline, now I see. Now I see my life after Jesus. When asked, a blind man said, I was blind, but now I see. And he would have been, uh, had more than just the physical ability to see. He would, have a, he would have been a spiritual insight to later say, Lord, I believe. And right then and there, when Jesus introduced to him as the son of man, he's like, Lord, I believe you and I will worship you. You know, certainly his life would never, ever be the same. He would never have to beg again. He could see the people that were important to him. I mean, we talked about his parents in the scripture today. Imagine seeing your parents for the first time. Imagine seeing your friends and your loved ones. Maybe he had siblings. Maybe seeing them for the first time. He could also see the beauty of God's creation from sun up, sun up to sun down, and everywhere, everything in between. He could see that for the first time. And this last thing, man, he saw Jesus, the Son of God, for the first time, face to face. You know, I've, I've prayed that God would make me a man after his own heart. You know, I was baptized, uh, I told you guys, right here behind me, at the age of 11. And to be honest, between the ages of 11 and let's say 16, 17 years of age, I was a baptized believer. I was a Christian, but I don't know if I specifically did the things that I was supposed to be doing as a follower of Jesus. You know, praying regularly, reading my Bible regularly, pointing people to Jesus, that sort of thing. I was just like caught up in the in the motion, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and many of you know, especially if you've known me for a long time, <laughs> um, even during Mark's sermons up here, I would be back there, kind of where Leon is, uh, stretched out across the row. We had pews back then. Y'all remember pews? Okay. Um, but I would lay across a pew drawing something. I mean, that, that's what I did. Um, but uh, as I was listening to the sermon, because I talked about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I love drawing buildings, landscapes, you know, that, that sort of thing. I always thought I was going to go off to uh, a design school and become an architect. But let me tell you, Stony Brook, this very church, hired its first ever youth minister during my junior year of high school. And you've heard me say his name in, in like the 10 Sundays that I've been here more than once. But his name is Dean Owens. Uh, Dean, you know, has come in to fill in and preach. He's the campus minister uh, at a school that I will not say their name. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, UNC um, over in Chapel Hill. But let me tell y'all, Dean really poured into me, besides mom and dad, Dean, man, he really poured into me, spiritually speaking. He poured into me so much that after the school day ended at Hunt High School, down the road, I would come straight here to Stony Brook. Dean's office was right behind Diana here. And uh, I would come and I would hold his door frame up because Dean would talk to me. And if you know Dean, that's not hard for him to do. I love Dean. Um, but he would pour into me, and he would talk to me, and he would disciple me. Man, what a God Dean Owens is and was at, at that moment. It was during my senior year of high school at a youth event at Mid-Atlantic Christian University, formerly Roanoke Bible College up in Elizabeth City, that Dean took us to that I got the call from God to go into ministry. And my friends, I, you know, I got to give some credit, not only to God, but to Dean Owens. 
for helping me with that. You know, I ended up going to MACU in the fall of 2001. I graduated four years later in 2005. And being called into the ministry gave me a purpose that was beyond your normal nine-to-five job. God led me to serving churches where I have developed lifelong friendships. And I've seen other people's life change for the better and for the worse, too. My first ministry began in April of 2002 at the Christian Chapel Church of Christ, or Crossroads Church, in Robertsonville, North Carolina. You know, that very semester, that spring semester at MACU, as a freshman in college, I took a class that Dr. Andrews, Gene Andrews, taught, and some of you may know Gene, uh, good guy, uh, good family. But Gene gave us an assignment about what we wanted to do with our life. And right there at the moment, you know, I wanted to go into youth ministry. That's why I wanted to go to to MACU uh, to become a youth minister. And and Gene, he just happened to be interim minister at Christian Chapel Church at that time. And because of that paper that I submitted, he asked me if I would like to become the part-time youth minister, the weekend youth minister of that church in Robertsonville, North Carolina. Me, as a freshman, in college, I think I was 19 years old. That's younger than Seth, by the way. I'll say that. Um, but, you know, I had no ministry experience. I had a little bit, you know, through Dean and people here at Stony Brook, but, um, but But Gene, along with the others in that particular church, they helped me, they molded me. And believe me, I made plenty of mistakes as a 19 or 20-year-old in ministry. But by the grace of God, after those two years of being at Christian Chapel Church, I am here still today, 21 years in the ministry. So, man, (laughs) sometimes I replay moments from that 19-year-old in ministry up here. Man, um, I've told people I get lost up here all the time. So, but, um, but I understand things better today than I did when I was a kid, especially. God has taught me a lot. His word, the Bible, has helped shape my life. It's helped shape my life. I'm still not perfect. But let me tell you, now I can see. I can see. I'm no longer blind. I have hope. I I have a hope in, in, in an eternity that is far greater than anything this life, this earthly life, has to offer. It is because of my faith that I can see things in better light. For example, you know, when people in faith, they get sick. They end up dying and passing on. I can see that a little bit better now. You know, in mom's side of the family, we just had a cousin pass away a couple weeks ago after a long fault battle with cancer. But hey, he was a believer. And he is no longer suffering. And I know where he is on the other side of this life, sitting and hanging out at the feet of Jesus daily. And that's great. That's awesome to think about. Yeah, and, and I will say, he is missed on this side. But man, I, I even think I know that his immediate family knows that he is hanging out with Jesus now. You know, when Jesus' story and my story collided, he changed my outlook on life and death. And hopefully he did yours as well. How did Jesus change your story? How is your life different today because of Jesus? So my friends, just tell your story. But I do realize that many of you are still reluctant you know, to share your stories. We are, what, but let me ask that question. Why are we so reluctant to share our, our stories? You know, it might be because you just don't have the gift of evangelism. You don't have that gift. Maybe you think that you have to have some special gift, some spiritual gift to share your story. This isn't true, and I'll show you why this isn't true. So I want you to uh, say hey to the person next to you right now. 
All right. So I also want you to tell them that you are glad that they are here. So do that. And uh, I want you to tell that person one thing about yourself. One thing about yourself. Do it now. <laughs> so, you know, how, how hard, how hard was it for you to do that? How hard was it to say your name or say hey or uh, tell your person or uh, the person next to you, one thing about yourself. How hard was that? It's just about talking. It's just about talking. You don't have to have a gift for this. You just have to have a willingness to do so, a willingness to do it. And remember, this isn't like talking to total strangers. It could be talking to a friend, a family member. Remember the eight uh, boxes that you were supposed to write someone's name in? It's talking to those people, people that you interact with all the time, okay? It's not just total strangers. It's those eight people that you interact with, that you live, you work, you play with. You know, we also might be reluctant because we don't have all the answers. <laughs> uh, you're right, you know, none of us have all the answers. What if they ask me a question you might think that I don't have the answer to? You know, in the book, Bless, Dave Ferguson addresses this by being honest. You know, sometimes we don't have all the answers, but you can tell that person, hey, hold that thought. I need to do some research about it. Maybe it's right there. You know, thank God for smartphones. And, and, but don't believe everything you can find on the Internet. Okay? But uh, let me just uh, in encourage you to go and try to find the answer. And maybe you can tell that person, hey, I'll get back with you. I've had to do that before. Um, but let, let's read this as, as Jesus talking. It's Matthew chapter 10, 19 through 20. We have this promise. He, he says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say. And this could be in any situation. Okay. Not just as they're about to arrest you. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. Jesus says at that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, for the spirit of your father speaking through you. But like I said, if you don't know the answer, just tell your, your friend, your person, let me get back with you. I've had to do that before. Maybe we're also reluctant too because maybe we think I've made so many mistakes. Why would anyone listen to me? I don't feel so worthy. Certainly, some of us may feel like we have disqualified ourselves for ever speaking Jesus into somebody's life. <laughs> if that was the reason to, to, to rule us out, I think all of us would be there. We've all sinned. We looked at Romans 3.23 earlier. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think this would apply to all of us. But the truth is that because of our failures, we can speak truth into another person's life. Because of our failures, we can speak truth into another person's life. Your story, in fact, can touch another person and give them hope. Hope that they probably don't even have. So rather than disqualifying yourself, your mistakes actually make you more qualified to share with someone what Jesus has done for you. Another reason that you might have about being reluctant is I, I don't want to impose my beliefs on family and friends. I don't want to do that. You know, I get it. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want, um, we don't want people to not like being around us. So we convince ourselves that sharing our story uh, may be seen as being overly aggressive. So you may be thinking of someone who might be a little pushy, that might be the Bible-thumping kind. Uh, this is not what I'm suggesting you to do, Okay. Um, check out this quote from a guy named D.T. Niles. He said, uh, Christianity is one beggar 
telling another beggar where he found bread. That's Christianity. But think about what is at stake. You know, it's the eternity of the other person. It's the life after this life for the other person. Do you really, really believe that Jesus is the only way to God, to the Father? He himself made that statement. And uh, I was talking to Dawson a little bit uh, before service. Uh, but if you don't know Jesus, my friends, they don't know God. They will have no eternity with him because Romans 10 Verse 13, this is what we were talking about. Uh, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Going into verse 14, it says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Dave Ferguson, from this book, Bless, he suggests that you and I do this. So we're going to read that last part of that passage again, but this time replace the word someone with your name. So let's read it together. And how can they hear without Lance preaching to them? Think about that before you were scared off by the word preaching there. Simply understand that it is proclaiming the word of God. It's not a three-point sermon outline. Uh, it's just simply sharing your story. All you are doing is simply having a conversation. And like I said, it's not a stranger. It's probably someone that you know. But what can you say? or what you say can have a powerful impact upon the person that you share it with, that you share a story with. And finally, we're reluctant to share our story because sharing my story, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. You may be nervous, especially the first times that you do this, and, and more than likely you will be. You may be uncomfortable because you, you might... Uh, share some details about your life that everyone doesn't know and in your head they probably don't need to know but man sharing a story is a powerful thing you may not feel totally confident too in how to share or tell your story but would this discomfort really keep you from what could be the difference in the life and the eternity of that other person You're attempting to give your gift a, or, or give your friend a gift. You're attempting to do that. If you brought your friend a meal and offered it to them, would you feel uncomfortable about that? So let me tell you, you're just simply being kind to them. Same way you would offer them a meal, offer your story. You are being kind to them. View this, this idea, in the same way as offering a meal. Church, God has not put us here just to eat, sleep, take up space, all that kind of stuff. He hasn't done that. We have a purpose that is far beyond you and I. We have a purpose. We are here to bless those that we come in contact with. And we need to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Think about those eight people on your list. The people that you live, you work, you play with. There are eight people that God has brought into your life for a reason. He loves them, and he wants them, too, to know that he loves them through you. You may be the only one, say one, who can tell them. So look for those opportunities, whether it's over a meal or like last week we talked about some kind of service project, serving them. But as we learn today, and I challenged you today, tell your story. They will be blessed, and my friends, so will you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We just uh, thank you so much for um, every single talk.
every, every word, God, that you have inspired and given me to, to share. And as we finish up this series uh, this morning and this week, God, I, I just pray that we have all been challenged just to simply talk to folks. You know, the blind man was, was talking as he did every single day to the point where the disciples started talking about that. And we thank you so much for that interaction because it was through that interaction between Jesus and his followers that this blind man was healed. God, let it be the same way with us and and through us, God. Let us, through our story of just talking and sharing with others that those eight that we have thought about during this series, or maybe it's just some other random person that through sharing our story that that person will have their life changed. And maybe that person will find Jesus for the first time or even come back to him. So let us do that this day, this week, for the rest of our lives. Thank you, God, so much for bless and these five things that we can do. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, a lot to think about, uh, a lot to do. Let's not just leave it here at Stony Brook Christian Church. But let's take all five of these things out with us and practice them every single day. But let me remind you again to share your story. Let's stand up and uh, let's sing together.